Hello, hello, and welcome back to A Life Extraordinary. I'm your show host, Roberto, and I'm coming to you from, from where? From Iceland, and you can hear the howling wind behind me, or in front of me, <laughs> because that is Iceland. It's a place of wind, ice, fire, uh, rebirth, <laughs> and perhaps even death here and there. And... Um, and so I thought it apt tonight to talk to you a little bit about the survival skills required for a solo adventure or solo adventures. You know, um, in Iceland, there's frequently people that need to be rescued, so much so that they have a rescue service that, uh, that, that is run by people that have never, uh, that are not paid. So it's all volunteer. And they've got their super Jeeps and they've got amazing equipment to get you out of really bad scenarios. And um, it's one of these places that oftentimes a wandering tourist finds himself in a tricky situation and uh, requires a rescue. Uh, oftentimes, I'm the guy that people in Iceland look at and say, well, that guy's not going to live very long because he's headed out to paddle on that giant piece of water that if you tip you die or perhaps he's heading across the interior in search of uh of landmanalaugen but if you get stuck out there nobody knows where you are uh things can go wrong quite quickly so the idea tonight or today whatever this may find you um is to chat to you a little bit about the different ways and survival skills that i have in order to keep myself alive, um, and coming back to the kids, of course, um, there's so many adventures and so many sports that I like to do, and each one of them requires a certain set of skills in order to be successful in not having issues. So I'll jump in to this one in today's episode and talk to you first about backcountry camping, because a lot of people see backcountry camping as something that they should never have to worry about um, in case that they're a bear or in case that there's bad weather or inclement weather. But there's so many scenarios where stuff can go wrong quite quickly. And when you're in the backcountry and stuff goes wrong, you really want to be ready because things can change very, very quickly. One of the very basic things that requires when you're going out on a solo adventure is to make sure you're prepared. And that could mean uh, a variety of things depending on which sport you're partaking in. But for a backcountry trip, you know, or, or a camping trip, I highly recommend traveling with an emergency beacon uh, or satellite GPS communicator because one of the most key factors in people knowing if you're okay or not is uh, or if you're in a bad situation is being able to communicate with the world in case of a bad scenario and people will say well what could happen on a backcountry uh, camping trip that I'm not aware of and it's the things that you're not aware of that tend to happen so you're chopping wood and the axe slips and it uh, hits your leg um, because for even though you've been chopping wood for an eternity or so it feels like um, these things do tend to happen or how about that you're in a very windy windy scenario and you think the tent's going to rip open and it does and you're not ready for the elements outside and you get wet and cold and chilled quite quickly you know i was uh i did a, a kayak expedition here last time i was in iceland and 
we paddled all the way to Yokultarlon uh, Lagoon's glacier. And uh, it's a good seven or eight kilometers of paddling, but the water is extremely cold to the, to the point that if you even tip with wearing your dry suit and you don't get out quickly enough, um, then you will go hypothermic and die. But that's not where I was going with this uh, section of the podcast. It's that I wanted to tell you that we paddled out to within a few hundred meters of the glacier and we found this clump of rock that was protruding from the water just enough for us to pitch our tent on and, um, and set camp. And so when we arrived, the, the weather was nice. We were able to cook. It didn't seem like, it seemed like we were on the lee side of the rocks. And, uh, and as the evening got later and later, the winds, which you can hear a little bit in the background right now, just started to howl and move and flap the tent in, in the most <laughs> un, um, nice way possible. <laughs> and, uh, and when you're getting, when you're in a tent, Everything feels much more amplified in regards to, um, in, in regards to dealing with this, this bad weather. So we get into our tent and, uh, my buddy Mariano is laying down in the side of the tent where the wind is hitting. And so he's basically holding the tent with his body, um, while we get buffeted by, by, you know, 40 kilometer an hour winds, 50 kilometer an hour winds. And, and throughout the, the night, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, if the tent's going to rip, um, I've got to be ready because we're on a clump of rock and it's raining and hailing and, and the weather's really shit outside. So I've got to be ready in case the tent does fail on us. And I've never had a tent actually fail and tear, but I've heard of many stories where it has. And it only takes one time for something really bad to happen for you to be uh quite in in a pickle as they say and so while my buddy while while i was listening to the wind and concerned that the tent was going to be torn down um my buddy was sound asleep and snoring like a tractor <laughs> working the fields um but what i was doing is i was getting ready just in case the tent did rip. And what does that mean? Is it putting up my, my dry suit and my booties and my equipment um, that would keep me uh, very warm and dry in case the tent did rip? And I think being aware of how to prepare yourself for uh, scenarios like this is quite important um, because it allows you to, uh, to, to be ahead of the bad situation. Now, the tent didn't end up ripping. I did get perhaps a little hot in my dry suit while we were in the tent. But in the morning, the skies cleared and we were able to start paddling out. But throughout the night, I didn't know if the skies were going to clear and the wind was going to abate and or if it was going to get much worse. And we were trying to follow um, the, the weather patterns. And in the end, we made it back paddling about four hours uh, of paddling. And then that night, the, while we had fed 40, 50, 60 kilometer an hour winds, the night after that we returned, there was 140 kilometer an hour winds. So <laughs> that's like gale force winds or hurricane winds, uh, for most places in the world. And in Iceland, they like to say, well, that's just another breezy day. So, so being prepared is, is, is a really big thing. So having the right tent on a, on a, on an adventure is key. And in this case, I was with a friend of mine, but on a solo trip, 
you're, there's nobody to help you in, in a scenario like this. So you've got to be even uh, more aware of the things that you need to do in advance to make sure that if anything happens, you you don't you know, you're able to get out of it. Um, I've been in other uh, situations on top of mountains where the wind howled and kicked and and did everything to bring my my tent down. Um, and similarly, I always uh, prepare myself and prepare the gear in the tent and put it away and put things that are instead of leaving loose clothing all over the tent and cameras and whatever, I put everything ready so that in case it did rip and tear, then uh, then suddenly I'm in an okay scenario and I'm not scrambling to try and save all of these different types of equipment. Now, canoe trips and kayak trips have an absolutely different um, possibility when it comes to uh, issues that you might have, and particularly with cold water. So when I'm on... Uh, a solo a kayak or canoe trip. Um, similarly, I'm, I try to plan in advance in case I hit a terrible scenario. So on a sea kayak, I'll have a dry bag, and in that dry bag will be the emergency beacon, a down jacket, some food snacks, uh, and some fire starters and a lighter. And I know that if anything goes wrong, uh, if I was to tip and I need to swim to shore or I need to... Um, to get uh, to get warm, then I just grab that one dry bag, let the kayak go, and, and head to shore as fast as I can. And uh, while I have never had to use it in a scenario as such where I'm literally doing a wet exit, which is basically when your kayak uh, turns upside down and you have to get out of it without being able to barrel roll it, while that hasn't happened to me, I have on many occasions when I'm on a solo trip, got into shore and... What, because I have a dry suit on, I can't wear that much underneath it because I'm paddling and I'm paddling 20, 30 kilometers in a day. So you would get too hot and too sweaty. So with merino wool, I'm able to um, to keep myself quite warm and, and dry for these uh, these scenarios. And um, But when you get to shore after a long day of paddling, there's the possibility that um, you get chilled. And oftentimes I've seen with my body that after a long day of being on the water, you get to shore, and even though you've got your dry suit on, the wind quickly wicks away any uh, heat from your body, which makes you get chilled. And I've gotten chilled many times, many times, like half a dozen to a dozen times, to the point where my body starts to tremble uh, almost uncontrollably. And, uh, and my solution to that over the years has been uh, to have this deck dry bag at the ready the moment I land. So now, instead of waiting, sometimes, but before I would try and take my gear out of uh, out of the tent, out of the, the kayak, and I would set up camp, and I'd still be doing this all in my dry suit while the, the sweat is drying on my uh, base layers, and that's when I would get chilled. But um, now what I do is the moment I land, I take that dry bag, I take out the poof and down jacket, um, and I put that on right away so that I don't have I don't let my body's temperature drop uh, so quickly or so drastically. And it's made quite a difference over the years to know your body and to know at what point it's absolutely necessary that you take care of yourself. Because um, a few times I let it go a bit too long and I found myself curled up in a ball in my sleeping bag in the tent, uh, rubbing my arms and, and putting the emergency blanket around me and doing everything I can to bring my body temperature up 
And it's quite uncomfortable, I have to say. It's not, not the most uh, enjoyable of things um, by any means. So, so that's just one of the things for, for sea kayaking and canoe tripping that I'd highly recommend. And of course, depending on the location where you are, it's actually quite important to have a fantastic fire starter because while you might not have kindling at the ready uh, when you arrive, um, getting that first flame going to warm up uh, can be quite, quite important. I've, I have this story in my mind of a, of a guy um, that uh, was deep in the bush and he his hands were getting gnarled by the cold and the wind and he gets under a tree to start a fire and his hands are almost becoming knobby rocks and stones because when when you're wet and cold uh, that's how they tend to do and you, you lose your dexterity which allows you to make the fire and so he builds this flame with the last uh, strength that his fingers have before he can barely move them and just as his flame's going, the heat of the flame wets the bow uh, or heats the bow's branches above the fire, and a big chunk of snow falls onto the fire, extinguishing it instantly, and the guy dies. So that's the type of scenario that uh, that I don't you, you don't want to, to be in. And it's important that when you're in a life uh, or death emergency situation that you, you have to think of these things even though your adrenaline is pumping and you're nervous or anxious about uh, the outcome. Uh, it's important to try and analyze everything as you're doing it. And personally, I find that, that it's uh, one of the times when I shine the most. <laughs> and, and it's true because I feel that life uh, slows down for those instances for me. Um, and I'm able to focus in this hyper-aware manner that uh, that makes me feel uh, truly alive because, well, death is knocking at the door sometimes. Um, backcountry skiing, you know, a few little survival tips or skills on that one. When you're in deep snow and you're trying, trying to do a traverse, and for whatever reason you've had to take off your skis, a lot of people um, assume that the snowpack around them is going to be nice and solid, but more often than not, it's a lot softer than, uh, than, it, they, might, than they might have uh, imagined it to be. And you sink to your knees or you sink to your waist, and then you're in a bit of a uh, conundrum because you're quite stuck in the snow, particularly if you've got uh, a backpack full of gear and equipment and cameras in my case. So, so one of the tricks that you want to do when you do, do have your backcountry skis with you and you did make that mistake of stepping into the snow waist deep is you, you try and um, crawl onto your belly on the snow and you put your two skis parallel to each other and you literally use them as planks um, to slide yourself on the snow until you can get to firmer ground. And a lot of people can also do this with a snowboarder and snowboarders actually have to do this more often than um, than skiers because they're often in scenarios where they have to take off their 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 snowboard because they couldn't get enough momentum on on the snow and so um, you go on the snowboard on your belly and then you you flail your arms around uh, to make to make way and and get progress because if you try and step with your boots in uh, in that snow then you just stink knee or waist deep and it could be quite quite uncomfortable and frankly put dangerous um i have had to do that a few times um twice with a snowboard and i think once with with my skis 
Um, and for future, I just don't take off my skis when I think the snowpack is, is tight enough or strong enough. Um, crazy winds, yes, crazy winds. You've got to be aware that crazy winds and wild winds wick off heat. And a lot of people think that even though you're in 15 degree weather, then you're totally fine and you can never get hypothermic because, or your body can never go into chills or shock because of the, uh, the, the temperature. But the truth is that even in summer conditions, um, under the right scenario, if you fell in the water from your paddling or kayaking, or you simply sweated too much on a trek and the wind comes about, it wicks away all the heat from your body. And that's one of the reasons why Gore-Tex jackets uh, and Gore-Tex pants are so important. Because if you're wearing just your merino base layers or a sweater, then uh, the heat isn't getting trapped between your Gore-Tex and your skin. And therefore, the wind just takes it away. And your body's always trying to obviously self-regulate and keep its heat up. So if you if you don't uh, give it a hand, then uh, then you can get uh, into a pretty difficult scenario. Similarly, you know, if you're in... Um, if you've been wearing a dry suit and you're in the water and you didn't have um, a, a merino or more particularly if you didn't have a um, neoprene suit under your dry suit, um, then then your the body really does feel the cold up against it. And it's like, imagine being um, in a pool full of ice cubes and the ice cubes are all pressed against your skin as hard as can be. And, and your body is regulating and working overtime to try and bring its heat up. Now, now if you don't have, uh, if you don't have that, that, uh, the, the Gore-Tex on, obviously, um, it would go much faster. But in this scenario, um, I think it's quite important to get out of the water as quickly as possible because otherwise your temperature will drop too quickly. And a lot of people make the mistake in thinking like, oh, I'm in my dry suit and I'm in the cold water and I'm quite comfortable and I'm all good. And yeah, I feel it's cold, but I'm having fun, uh, whatever it is I may be doing. But then when they come out of the water, you've got to take into account the time that it takes to get to your shelter and to your warm shelter. Um, the fact that the wind will start wicking away all the heat from your body. Um, and these things make, uh, make the situation go uh, quite badly, quite quickly. I've had a few uh, people before on adventures with me that kept pushing the limits of how long they would stay in very, very cold water, even though they had their dry suit. But they didn't calculate the amount of time it was going to take to get back to the car in this scenario that I'm thinking about and uh, and the time that it takes to get undressed from your dry suit and the wind factor involved in all of this and the cold factor of the air as well. And all of these combined left left these people feeling very, very chilled and uncomfortable. Hi, excuse me. Um, so that they ended up, uh, yeah, not being happy campers, as they say. Now, um, you know, again, obviously being prepared is is one of the best things. And, and here in Iceland, there's a lot of people that have car issues because the roads have no shoulders and the wind is so strong that it could, you know, literally flip your van off the road sometimes in certain cases. The wind is so strong that it can pick up rocks and fling them against the car and the vehicle uh, as well as often happened. Um, during big gusts, um, it's been known for for cars to be peppered with like almost as if they had like gunshots all over it. So one of those things to be uh, very aware of in Iceland is to be prepared when you're driving. 
a lot of people, you know, as a Canadian, um, my parents always told me that uh, to always have a jacket in the car because if you have a car accident or if you have any car issues, then um, or if your car turns off and it's minus thirty or minus forty, which does get uh, to that degree in Eastern Canada, then then you're you're quite in a uncomfortable situation and, and things can go badly quite quickly. So I always leave a jacket in the car, whether I'm in a country like Iceland or New Zealand or Canada, that is at arm's distance reachable because not much use to you if it's in the trunk of the car. You've had a car accident, you're pinned in your seat and you can't even warm up uh, because you can't reach the jacket. So small tip for uh for you know, surviving on any adventure, uh, driving adventure, is to have a warm jacket within reach. Here in Iceland, you know, there's a lot of sand and there's a lot of black sand. The top layer of the black sand is, is the harder layer, but if your car tires, like happened to us the other day, breaks through that top layer, then the sand below is ultra, ultra soft, and it's, and it's a blacker sand than the top layer, and it just goes down forever. Like our tow truck guy was like, you know, if you don't, if you break through that top layer, it's like an endless amount going down. So there's not, it's not as if you'll ever hit hard surface. So in that case, a lot of people, uh, when they're doing their trips here in Iceland, have mm. the car, uh, the car track thingies that, that they use to get out of, of the set. Um, there's also an, a phone number that you can call here. I think it's 112 or 121. 112, I think. And, uh, and that's the rescue service to help you out. But that's only if a tow truck company wasn't able uh, to make it out to you. A few uh, other things that you'd like to, quite important for survival driving in Iceland is if uh, you ask the car rental company to give you a vehicle that has studded tires because those studded tires I've, I've been here before in situations where the entire roads are completely covered in ice. And, you know, yesterday, if you were watching our, our stories of the day before, you would have seen beautiful sunshine day, and it looked like 15 degrees, and it was lovely. But today it was snowing when we woke up, and the roads were slippery, and with the added wind factor, plus the driving on snow or ice, it makes quite the interesting driving conditions. So... Make sure that you get um, studded tires on your vehicle if possible. I've also seen on the ice that the first time I think I noticed it was like, why are there all these strange scratch marks all over the ice? And basically the way people would drive here during, during really bad weather is you drive uh, a small distance and you pump the brakes. But when you're pumping the brakes, instead of making your vehicle suddenly spin out into 360, uh, as black ice tends to do to, to cars, the studded tires will make... Uh, the car slowly come to to a stop, uh, kind of like a forward slide shuffle without uh, without the car moving too much out of its angle. And the scratch marks are from the studded tires that just grip the ice when you're braking like that. And and it's literally a technique that they use here, which is like when the roads are absolutely terrible. It's like drive a little bit, very small distance, car is starting to slip out of control. Uh, tap the brakes lightly until uh, the studded tires grab grab the ice, and, and there you go. So uh, a lot of Icelanders also will wear pinnies, or I guess you would call them like fluorescent jackets with a big X in silver that's reflective. And this is because the weather can be so bad here 
and the situation so common that you get blown off the road or you have car issues mm. that they like to be ready in case of those scenarios so that they could be seen um, when they're in this accident and so they can be noticed when they're on the road trying to wave down a vehicle or get some help. Um, and that, you know, that's just an example of, of uh, being prepared uh, here in Iceland for, for a scenario as such. Um, I was also going to touch on, you know, like for, for camping in the backcountry and, and tent camping, I live in an area where there are lots and lots and lots of black bears. And those black bears are curious beasts, that's for sure. They love to tramp around and search for food, and they can smell it for 25 kilometers. So one of the key factors that you highly that I highly recommend is never, of course, to leave any food in your tent or any um, creams or sweet-smelling stuff that the bears might wish to get at. Because uh, if you do, then you might have a very unwelcome visitor in your tent. And there are plenty of stories of a bear grabbing someone through the tent um, because they were looking for food. And in our case, you know, uh, it's, it's a tricky thing uh, because I've got little ones that they've got scented uh, diapers and, and such. So <laughs> I try and balance that out. But I do my best to take off all clothes that had um, any smells on them from cooking. Excuse me, it's, it is 2.30 a.m. here. And, um, and then I put those uh, things in a dry bag. And obviously a dry bag is airtight, so that helps keep the scent away. And if there is a tree that you can hang it up, I, I do recommend that. But um, backcountry camping, don't leave food in your tent. Don't leave any scented stuff like your toothpaste or creams in there either. And and like all adventures, you know, preventive uh, safety is, is definitely one of uh, the best safeties, in, in my opinion. Um, also, be, be prepared on a solo trip for the emotions that come with it because... Detaching from the world, particularly on backcountry trips where you don't see anybody, it's a, a massive amount or in a big way. It's about the state of mind you're in. So, so if you're quite sensitive to um, whatever might be going on back home or bills, or um, it could distract you from getting out of a scenario. And and it's uh, and while it, there is definitely a great side to the meditative aspect of doing solo trips. Um, when things go wrong, you don't have an extra pair of helping hands to get you out of a situation. And even though you might have an emergency beacon, as I've had many times before, by the time somebody would be able to rescue me, I would be dead. So um, don't get too distracted by the things of the real world or world back home. When you're going on your solo backcountry trips, it's important to really be focusing on the activity at hand, you know, even if you're sea kayaking, sometimes just a wrong paddle stroke with the wrong wave could suddenly have you swimming. And I'm proud to say that this has not happened to me yet where I end up swimming, but I can tell you dozens of times, literally, where I almost didn't capsize. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty important one there. Our solution to being into, in these types of uh, adventures and, and dealing with inclement weather, inclement weather and um, put bad snow conditions or being too cold or too wet is to always be ready to set up camp. Meaning, even if I'm in a backcountry trip and I'm looking for a hut, then perhaps I haven't been to that hut before, I'll bring a tent 
because I know that if I, if I don't make it to the hut in time, or if I'm, uh, or if, if the girl that I'm with is is uh, too cold or doesn't have the energy uh, to make it to the hut as well, then we can set up the tent and everyone just jumps in, gets cozy, and uh, and then greets. You know, then you get ready for the next day um, instead of trying to push when you're out of sorts. And I think that's another big mistake that solo adventurers often make is that is pushing too hard, whether it's because you have a time limit to get to a destination or you think you're more capable than you are on that particular day. Um, but it's really knowing when to turn back because if you don't turn back in time, then things can go quite, quite badly. And I've often said, you know, if... Uh, if I, I see the peak of a mountain, but I see the weather's coming in and I'm just not feeling it, that gut instinct of knowing when to turn around uh, can be quite the deciding factor on if you're going to make it out of that adventure uh, alive or not. And anyways, you can still attack it the next day and with fresh legs and a fresh mind um, and with daylight. <laughs> because oftentimes we want to push our limits and but it's, that's when accidents happen, when we're so exhausted already that uh, we do a misstep or a miss paddle stroke or left a, a bag of gear behind at the last camp that has food in it that's kind of necessary to live um, on that adventure or, um, or whatnot. But basically mistakes happen when you're tired and when you're at the end of your tether. So always be aware. Um, it's okay to turn back and at the worst case scenario you just give it a go the day after um on this uh icelandic trip tomorrow we're going to be paddle boarding amongst icebergs and really excited for that but got to be quite aware of the dangers involved and fortunately i'm doing it uh with some pretty capable people so i'm not concerned about that by any means but icebergs do tend to flip turn capsize calve um, and so one has to be extra, extra cautious when being in the water, particularly excuse me, water that's so cold at, uh, at one degree or so. And so tomorrow we'll be paddleboarding and as, as always, I'll have an emergency bag with me with a giant down jacket, some fire starters to get a fire going if needed. Um, and of course, make sure that I'm in the right state of mind for that day's adventures because it's quite important to focus on the task at hand in order to make it out just fine. So that's a few tips here and there on what to do in crazy winds, cold water, have your emergency bag, tent camping, no food in the tent, very important, you don't want bears knocking, and canoe tripping because um, with all of these activities, if you're not prepared, for the weather or the adventure to come, then things can go quite wrong. Thanks for listening in tonight. I think I'm going to hit the sack. It's 2.35 a.m. The wind is howling outside, and I better get some rest because a good night's rest is often the best thing you need for a day of survival in the wild. I'm Roberto for the Expeditioners. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.